welcome to the latest edition of Over the Farm Gate. I'm Farmers Guardian Editor and AgriConnect Group Content Director Ben Briggs and I'm here at Farm Business Innovation at the NEC. This is a show run by AgriConnect and it's looking at diversification and how it can help your farm business. So in today's podcast we're going to speak to several exhibitors and hopefully a few attendees to find out what they think of the show and also how diversification and the show in general can help your farm business. So here I am uh, with Michael Hold of Moobal House. And Michael, just what do you think of the show, first of all, and um, and how good is it to be showcasing the kit that you've got here today? Well, yeah, we, it was a big decision for us where we were going to launch Moobal House. And when we looked at the options, we thought this was the perfect opportunity to, to show what Moobal House can bring to the holiday home market and the farming market as a diversification. So we're very impressed by the whole efficient in the layout. Could do maybe some new, new carpets down the hallway. Apart from that, it's great. And who have you been talking to today? Who's been your, the main people coming in uh, and, and showing it? Yeah, mainly farmers who really do need to diversify. They're going to be losing their European subsidies. Um, so a lot of farmers have already started the glamping and pods and uh, all actually about to. So we've had a lot. We've had a lot from the north of England as well. Amazingly, normally when I come, I was here last week, the Caravan Motorhome Show, everybody was from south of Birmingham. Today, it's been north of Birmingham. And can you just describe what your product is then and, uh, and what you think it offers people? Sure. They're a tiny house on wheels that are fully mobile, um, four metres high, two and a half metres wide, up to 6.75 metres long. They're a fully contained mobile house on wheels but with architect design and they're really quite beautiful. And where do you, are they uh, manufactured in this country or do you bring them in from, uh, from they're abroad? They're actually made just outside Istanbul. Um, the factory is a steel construction company there. The factory is working six days a week and from delivery, from order, it's 10 weeks to completion and then two weeks to ship from Istanbul to Tilbury in London and then up to us. So the whole process is no longer than three, three months, which is impressive. And as we stand here at the NEC, um, the, the Moobal House differs because it is on wheels, uh, it is mobile. Um, and can you just explain to our listeners on Over the Farm Gate what, you, you know, what the benefits of that? If you're a farmer thinking about one of these, what does that offer you? It means that you're not stuck for a depreciation asset, which, uh, which uh, a home park home is, is, is coming on a low load and you very rarely you can't move it. They're a depreciation asset, whereas these, because they're totally mobile, um, the longevity, the build quality is way better than any pod or home that I've ever seen. Um, they're a full steam f- steel frame construction um, built to withstand the, the, the road. And yeah, the, you, a vehicle that can tote to three and a half tons can just pick one up and away they go. Or we will deliver anywhere in the UK if you haven't got quite the confidence or the car. Michael, thank you for your time. Much appreciated. Thanks, Ben. So here I am with uh, one of the speakers um, from the Farm Business Innovation Show, Andrew Jones, who runs his very own uh, farm diversification in, uh, is it technically North Wales, Andrew? It is, yes, yeah. Uh, Rackery Retreat. We have spoken to him before, but uh, I just wonder what you, first of all, made of the show, Andrew, but also the importance really of, of maybe thinking a, a bit outside the box when it comes to, to farming and, and where your income comes from. Well, I think um, having been to this event now, Ben, um, maybe three or four times, um, I uh, place a huge amount of emphasis on making time, making the time to come to this event. 
whether you're thinking of diversifying or not, there's a huge amount of inspirational stuff that you see here for any rural person who's got space or a field or whatever, whether it's glamping, whether it's renewable energies, whether all kinds of quirky stuff, you you get great ideas here. And, um, you know, agriculture has been under financial pressures for some years. We might be entering a bit of a light uh, period coming forward in the near future, but nevertheless, we've got to keep our eye open for other opportunities of any sort really that brings income down the drive and i don't think there's a better event than this for challenging you to think outside the box really and uh no it's uh it's it's been a great event for me over the years and uh, our diversification as you know ben has been uh, around uh, safari tents which we purchased here in 2017 so um uh, yeah, it resonates, so it's very high on my uh, agenda, this event is, yeah. yeah. And just in terms of your own, um, you know, you've got three safari tents, haven't you, uh, at Rackery, uh, which have proved very, very popular, and I've been to them, and they are absolutely amazing. But even in the current economic climate, how are you How are you finding things in terms of occupancy levels and, and how people are approaching it? Or do you think there's actually opportunities because of the uh, the staycation market? Um, well, we are finding it personally just a little bit quieter this autumn. Um, having said that, last autumn, uh, because of the 2021 was the year following COVID where people wanted to travel, but they didn't want to fly. So last year, from the 1st of April till the 1st of December, we were 96% full. Well, we'll never see that ever again. And that was due to um, you know things outside of our control, i.e. COVID uh, recovery. So this year's A, quieter than that but I so I can't give you a proper measure as to why it's quieter but that'll be the main reason and I do think that we're quieter in the week we're still busy at weekends but I I do think the economy is starting to um, affect people's decision making on where they place money or spend money I do think that but having said that you know uh, the energy crisis that we're going through the good thing is that about it, the, re- the renewable energy will be self, uh, self-financing. In other words, it won't be underpinned by government handouts like RHIs or feed-in tariffs. And that would be great for that industry. And, you know, when you're, you've got land, you can grow crops that will produce energy, whether it's maize through AD plants. And so, I, you know, I've heard some fairly scary statistics recently about the value of crops for um, producing um, energy. So... As one door closes, two will open, I'm sure. Andrew, pleasure as always speak to you. And I'll uh, head off now and find some other people to chat to. And I'm here now with uh, one of our keynote speakers, uh, Will Rubottom, who has been talking about the the influence of social media and how to uh, present your image. And I was just wondering, Will, if you could just recap some of the things you've been talking about here today. So my presentation today, the main things I was trying to talk about is how social media could influence your farm business. Basically, it's a free tool and it's great to use, whereas a lot of other things are paid for. So if you're a small farm business or someone that might not have a huge budget, it's a great opportunity to um, push your business out there like on Facebook and Instagram. And just most of all, I was on about consistency and quality of posts. So make sure you're putting posts out there every day or say, three times a week the same times every week and think about when you're posting them so mornings and evenings when people aren't working and they'll be on their phones and stuff like that in general and how social media helped your brand and your business actually so i'd say 
in the five years I've used social media, I went from someone that probably no one had ever heard of to, especially in the clean sheep sector, someone that I'd say I'm a known person in the sheep, in the pedigree sheep world and that society as well as on social media and being here today. Any other time I'd probably see a friend from college, but now I have random people come up to me that I've never met, which is kind of weird, but it shows the power in what there is in social media and how you can get yourself out there. And I guess what you're talking about as well in terms of like clean sheep, yeah. you know, the sheep sector is quite traditional. Yeah. But you, you've obviously been able to use that to, to for your own profile, but also yeah. the profile of the breed as well. Definitely, definitely. So having been on the promotions committee for the breed too, I'm a real big advocate on the clean breed and I just try and get them out there where I can and if I can help them too. So I've helped with Heather that you've probably met before and try and help her with the social media and try and just push the breed too. And any other breeders, I've tried to give a helping hand to, so probably like the next generation on from myself that haven't been brought up with social media, just to give them a helping step up with what what to do. And as I've been stood here waiting to speak to you, you've had a you've had a queue of people wanting to yeah. talk to you. <laughs> and I mean, does that I mean does that take you by surprise that people want to tap into that knowledge? But also, I guess as well. It does show in a way that people can be quite cautious around social media and yeah. how to use it. Yeah, it's mad really. Like Today I expected to come here and there'd be like 10 people watching where there was probably, I don't know, 100. Which, having spoke before this, I was like, well, I'm all probably lesser known people on there. And it just shows how powerful it is. But yeah, probably people are cautious, I'd say, because they're scared to get themselves out there. But I'd say with my generation especially, there's nothing to be scared of like you're just trying to promote the great industry of agriculture and what we're all doing is great and the more people that can um, show that message the better. Yeah and I think you're right it is it's a fantastic industry and anything yeah. we can do to promote it has to be worthwhile Definitely. so thank you for uh, talking to me Will and I'll, uh, I'll let you speak to the uh, ever-growing queue. No thank you and it's great to meet you too. So now I've come over to the Carter Jonas stand and I'm here with Helen Moffat who's uh, one of the energy consultants with the firm and Helen, I was just wondering if you could start by telling me just your general experience of the show, but also what have you been talking to people about? Yeah, general experience so far. Um, now I've got in here after the traffic, uh, it's been really good. So had lots of conversation with some interesting, interesting people. It's got busier as the day's gone on, which is good after a slow start. Um, so speaking to people about um, putting solar on their um, on their farm roof to help offset rising electricity costs on the site. Um, had some conversations with a leisure park who are interested in what renewable technologies they can install um, to go off grid. Um, and yeah, general inquiries from the wider team as well, from our planners, um, and some just interesting conversations with people that I know um, and on other stands as well. Um, so I do a lot of work with energy suppliers. So. They don't have stands here, energy suppliers, but a lot of them are here just for the day, so popped over to see me. So one of the things that I've encountered recently, I did a, uh, I was doing an after-dinner speech in the uh, Yorkshire Dales, and one farmer, we were talking about the energy crisis, the price crisis afterwards, and one of the farmers said to me, he said, well, it's okay for farmers because we can just stick some solar panels on a shed roof and offset it. I mean, is it as easy as it sounds and do you find that kind of more farmers are potentially looking at those alternatives at the moment? Um, absolutely, the amount of inquiries has 
tripled, quadrupled for that kind of thing in the last, probably since January. Um, I'm a big advocate for rooftop solar, so I think it's the easiest first thing you can do, uh, far more normal business, um, to, to, to offset usage on, on, on your site. Um, it's not always as easy as it sounds though, so you've got to have um, the roof facing in the right direction, um, it's got to pass um, loading um, surveys, so it's got to be able to take the weight of panels because um, they are really heavy and a lot of structures on sites aren't, aren't built to take it. Um, and you've got to have the grid connection. That There are a whole host of things that basically that's part of my role is to help farmers to determine if, if it is viable. Um, and if it is, yeah, I, I really do think that get if, if it's viable, it's the easiest first thing you can do on your site to help offset usage. And if you can oversize your solar and export to the grid, that's another income stream. And prices are really good for exporting. So not only are you saving offsetting usage on site and saving on your bills, you've also got another income stream. So it, it, if it's viable for your site, it makes complete sense. And are you always surprised, like, you come to an event like Farm Business Innovation, and it is, I mean, I'm not just saying this for the podcast, it is generally, there's a real buzz about the place, it is really, really busy, but it, does it kind of surprise you, the amount of farmers who are assessing their options, or or do you think even more could, and, and could look at maybe diversifying away from, from that core business? Yeah, so obviously I'm coming from the, the energy side of things, but um, I think that we're in a phase, I was actually on a farm visit yesterday, um, got a site in Yorkshire that are looking at battery scheme. And we were just having a general conversation about having to adapt. And it's just, if, if you don't adapt, sometimes you can get left behind. And obviously energy is just one aspect that, and, and it, you know, for a large scale battery, for example, you've got to have a grid connection and there's a whole host of things. So. It might be that energy doesn't work for you, but there are other lots of other things to be that that can diversify your, your farm. So I think, yeah, I I think it's definitely on the forefront of most farmers' brains now. And if it's not, I do think there's some catching up to do because most are adapting now. Yeah, and I think that issue of uh, adaptability is certainly a key theme at uh, at FBI. So uh, Helen, thank you very much for your time. So I've now wandered over to the Rare Breed Survival Trust stand and I'm here with Chief Executive Christopher Price. Uh, and Christopher, I was just wondering, you've been, uh, you've been talking before, you were, you were telling me, um, but how, how have you found the event and, and also people's interest, I guess, in, in, in Rare Breeds in the context of diversification? Well, we find the Farm Business Innovation Show one of the most uh, useful events to go to. to, go to. Uh, in particular because we find that uh, people who attend are farmers who are wanting to go and do things differently. There's such a strong sense of can-do and entrepreneurialism and optimism here that it's, it's really quite refreshing. So we find that when we come we're talking to a, a very much a receptive audience. Um, we've just been talking about the commercial benefits of keeping native cattle to a, a full theatre here and it was interesting hearing from people who are uh, wanting to go and run their business different, differently. They're increasingly recognising that carrying on in the old ways, particularly 
outside the CAP where they won't be able to rely on such generous subsidies, will have difficulty completing on global commodity markets, means they have to go and do more to find niche premium products. And native breeds lend themselves towards that. You know, there's ability to create a USP for your business, which quite frankly isn't there in keeping the traditional continental breeds. Um, it's also very much of the moment as well. You know, as uh, input, input prices are going up and up and inflation is exacerbating the problem, um, native breeds, which were of course bred for our landscapes and can live outdoors on grass with minimal vet and med bills and housing costs, um, can reduce your input costs significantly and possibly to nothing. So there is a strong um, economic imperative on both sides of the equation, the income and the uh, outgoings for uh, adopting a native breed system now. And what kind of farmers have you been talking to today? Has it been, you know, the, the more traditional type? Has it been arable farmers? What, what kind of people are you talking to? Um, of those who are farmers, um, most of them are livestock farmers who are looking to do something different. Um, Recognising, for all the reasons I've said, that they can't carry on the way that they have been. Um, but also, you get a lot of new entrants at this show. Um, people who've decided they want to go into farming and are open to suggestions as to what works for them. Um, often they are the um, more um, say, Im say impressive, that's the wrong word, <laughs> um, the more uh, uh, attractive new entrants because they come already knowing how to run a business, how to manage costs, um, how to write a business plan, uh, etc. And they have no hinterland or their parents or grandparents who are prescribing how they should farm. They start from a, an open book looking what works for them and often that leads them towards native breeds because of the obvious um, economic attraction I've been talking about. And I've been chatting to a few people today about um, this event in the context of the current economic climate. I mean, how, how do you perceive the role of rare breeds at, at a time of, which is, you know, it's been quite tumultuous, you've got the energy crisis, you've got maybe people looking towards maybe lower input farming systems. That must be something your organisation is looking at and, and spying an opportunity with. Um, absolutely. I mean, I think it's um, a no-brainer on the lower input cost side of things. You don't really need to do, do much research to find out that's the case. Increasingly, though, it's also the sort of other side of the equation. Um, native breeds can tell an attractive. <coughs> native breeds can tell an attractive story, um, which can give your um, business a USP it wouldn't otherwise have. I mean, there is the lower input costs, which generally means a lower environmental footprint. Um, being kept outdoors on grass, the, the welfare is generally better, or it would appear to be better, um, than with many of the more intensive systems. Many of our late native breeds are strongly associated with a, a particular area. If you think of many sheep breeds, pig breeds, they are named after a county or a town. Uh, that can help give a, um, uh, an additional feature to your brand to help things going forwards. Um, there are challenges. Um, it was noteworthy, I thought, that the first two questions we had uh, at the session just were about the state of the abattoir network. You know, if there is no local abattoir that will process small numbers of non-standard animals and return the, the fifth quarter near you, um, there may as well not be an abattoir at all. And if there's no abattoir nearby, then it's very difficult to run a native breed business for, for obvious reasons. So there are, there are challenges in certain parts of the country, but that's something that you know, we're working on with the new ministerial team and hopefully we'll see some changes soon. And, and on that point, when we're talking about the changes at DEFRA, I think we'll leave it there, Christopher, but thank you very much for your time. So as the day draws to a close here at Farm Business Innovation, the crowds are starting to disperse and head for the car parks and the railway station. 
Um, but it's been a fantastic day and we've heard from some brilliant um, people on the podcast. I think the thing is, and the thing to reflect upon, is the fact that with common agricultural policy uh, subsidies disappearing over the next four years or five years, it's going to be a very timely occasion for farming and farmers to consider all the options. And I think that's what Farm Business Innovation has provided today and what we hopefully, via the pages and the website at Farmers Guardian, hope to provoke some ideas. The thing is, you can always look to diversify, you can always consider uh, the options, but sometimes, as many people have said today, making that first step is often the most difficult. So from me, Ben Briggs at Farm Business Innovation, thank you very much for listening and take care.